Well, fragile powers are very dangerous, Danny, because then they feel that their power is threatened and they use whatever power remains, such as military force. I mean, the United States, uh, you know, is seeking nuclear primacy. That's insane. Uh, that's a kind of Dr. Strangelove character of the U.S. state, willing to use battlefield nukes. United States withdrew from the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty in 2019. Catastrophic withdrawal really threatened Russia, you know, Part of the reason why Russia entered Ukraine was because of the INF Treaty withdrawal by the Trump administration, a horrendous act of, of, um, of recklessness by the U.S. government seeking, in fact, to uh, build uh, this idea of nuclear primacy. Really, really dangerous uh, the U.S. government has become. And I think this is a consequence of that fragility. Um, but let's go back. You asked a question about China. Now, firstly, I want to say China is a very large country, 1.5 billion people. The uh, Communist Party of China has 95 million members. It's often a mistake to generalize too much about China. Um, and because of that, you know, there are openings for uh, media hostile to China to report all kinds of things. I'll give you an example. Take the African continent. Um, you know, there is Chinese private capital that invests on the African continent. And then there are Chinese state institutions that invest in the African continent. Some of these state institutions are based on, are actually institutions of different provinces, not even the, the central government. And then there's finally government intervention, um, you know, with, with development aid and so on. So a range of different kinds of, of financial and economic and commercial relations with different countries in Africa. Well, certainly when Chinese private capital enters into a country, it's going to behave like a private capital. You know, it, it, it comes in to make a profit and so on. So there are plenty of stories from different parts of the continent that are quite ugly stories. You know, somebody comes in, they're looking to make a profit and so on. Um, you have those stories, but that's not the totality of the Chinese intervention in, in the global south. Uh, because you'll see lots of state uh, development aid come in and We've seen during the pandemic, Chinese state development aid, they've basically forgiven all of that aid, uh, a, a matter not reported very much by media hostile to um, the Chinese project. So, you know, when we look at China, we have to understand that, of course, there are uh, people coming in, some private sector firm in China, because they do have some private sector firms come in and they operate in a way contrary to um, any kind of socialist mandate or attitude. Those examples are, of course, there. They, they are, it's undeniable. But that should not define the entirety of the project. If you look at state financing that comes as development aid, um, if you look at how the People's Bank of China has been operating to give aid and so on, uh, very much different. And, and that whole theory of, you know, win-win development, prosperity for all, there is some truth to all of that. They are not just empty words. And I think that is threatening. Uh, certainly... Uh, the United States has over 30 military bases on the African continent. The Chinese don't have any. Uh, what people refer to when they say there's a Chinese military base is in Djibouti. The Chinese have a naval station from which they operate um, their ships, which, which you know, participate in, in, um, in, you know, they participate in, in the UN's anti-piracy mission. So, yes, there is all that there, but that's hardly a military base. Uh, you know, you've got the International Monetary Fund, as I said, uh, strangling Zambia. But then you have these Chinese loans coming in at much more favorable rates. 
that's a threat. And so the U.S. is militarizing Africa. The Chinese are out there forgiving loans. I mean, I, 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 it's puzzling to me, Danny, how a, you know, self-respecting reporter uh, can report on these things. And I must say a lot of the reports that take place are basically racist reports because unwilling to look at what the Chinese are doing, unwilling to take them at their word, you know, um, there is this assumption of the yellow peril perhaps at play. And to some extent, there is a belief that um, the Chinese are not uh, uh, trustworthy. Uh, or the Russians also are not trustworthy. It's interesting. The United States unilaterally walked out of the, the nuclear energy deal that um, that Iran had. It was the U.S. that unilaterally blo- broke an international agreement. And yet, of course, people say, well, the Chinese are unreliable. Very interesting how this works. It's the U.S. that was spying on Angela Merkel's phone. And they say that Huawei is going to steal your data. Actual hmm. reality is set aside. This is called fetishism. There's a fetishistic attitude towards the United States that somehow it is always going to be benign. And there's a fetishistic understanding towards China that it's always going to be dangerous. I got to say that underlying all these themes is a solid dose of old-fashioned white supremacy. Yeah. And and it and it's uh and it's very global too because on the one hand everything you mentioned about how China is portrayed in this manner is very much rooted in white supremacy. But then it always involves those nations, too, that they're doing business with, which almost all of the critical, all, all that is uh, being criticized with respect to, let's say, Africa, Latin America, et cetera, uh, those countries, too, are portrayed as well. They're just, uh, they're, they're just uh, weak countries that can't stand up for themselves and Big bad bully China is the one who is imposing, not imposing military power, which if we were to not know anything about world politics, we could say, all right, at least we understand that military power in the abstract is, is very dangerous. And sure, uh, we've seen bullyism like that throughout world history. But no, it's talking about economic relationships and the inability for African countries nations in Latin America to manage those affairs. So it goes so deep where Everyone in the process ends up looking weak and are portrayed in a very inhumane way, a dehumanized manner, which it cannot be any called anything but racism. And so, yeah, it's just so striking that the contrast, this racism keeps us from understanding this deep contrast. The United States didn't forgive anything during COVID-19. It was pirating resources during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, 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 plundering countries and attempting to hold everything for itself the whole time while also not providing any of it right to to ordinary people and we've seen the consequences of that and still to this day refuses to even do very basic things like allow COVID-19 vaccines to be uh, public to be free to the public to be uh, a public good so that the world can truly benefit from it so uh, the contrast contrast that with China's forgiveness of loans, deep COVID-19 aid, and uh, already not engaging in the kind of militarism that the United States continued and escalated throughout this whole period. And we have, I think, a, a, a very big difference between how these two countries, the two largest economies in the world, uh, do uh, how they operate, how they do business politically, economically, et cetera. So 
could you talk about because and maybe we can this could be the the final question could you talk about u.s hypocrisy you've been talking about a lot uh africa especially but you you talk about these interventions in the book these very key interventions where the u.s did destroy and, and largely obliterate political and economic stability, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, but ended up with a situation that was favorable in some ways, but also unfavorable in other ways. And now we're seeing some of the backlash. Can you talk about the hypocrisy of the United States' imperial power, its fragility, and how has that created a, a backlash to uh, perhaps its overall interests? Because certainly it is... Uh, meeting certain markers it's you know making stupendous profits for private capitalist interests it's it has a incredibly strong military but there's also these key i think responses happening around the world that uh, are not favorable to and, and certainly are not wanted by the united states right now well you know danny let's go to libya for this um because i think it's a good example of of what you're asking me I, I am not one of those people who believe that the United States deliberately wants to create instability in the world. In fact, in Libya, it was very clear they, they wanted to create a pro-U.S. Uh, government led by, you know, um, one or the other of the kind of Lib Libyan liberals, liberals in courts, because these are people who largely lived in the Gulf Arab states. Um, Mahmoud Jibril, for instance, the preferred instrument was the chief financial advisor of the um, Emir of Qatar's wife, um, you know, so th this is the kind of project that they had. They wanted to overthrow Gaddafi and then put Jibril into power. Jibril would create what, in fact, Gaddafi's son called a Kuwait in the Mediterranean. That was a Saif al-Islam Gaddafi's vision before uh, 2011. He wanted also to create a Kuwait in the Mediterranean. Well, that was the idea. In fact, it was not the United States that led uh, this war, it was um, the French, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, who led this war against uh, Gaddafi. Now, why did they go after Gaddafi with such vehemence? Uh, Sarkozy was worried that Gaddafi's Africa policies was undermining France's domination of its former colonies, the so-called Francophone bloc, which, by the way, still uses the French franc as their currency, even though France uses the euro. It's, it's a horrible colonial hangover. Um, then the Gulf Arab states, particularly Qatar and Saudi Arabia, just hated Gaddafi because Gaddafi used to go to the Arab League meetings and he would abuse them. You know, he called the Emir of Qatar uh, the running dog of the United States and he told the, the king of Saudi Arabia, you were created by the Americans. You know, they hated him personally. Um, United States was also interested in getting rid of him, but France led the way. You know, they had a material interest in getting rid of Gaddafi. Um, having dispatched Gaddafi, the French started to intervene right through the Sahel. So did the United States. Um, you know, the French intervened militarily in Operation Barkhane in Mali. The United States has built a number of military bases in Agadez, Niger, for instance. They built the largest drone base in the world. It's there today. Uh, um, U.S. and French troops are right across the Sahel in the town of Arlit in Niger, uh, that is a town garrisoned by the French because it provides uranium uh, to French nuclear reactors, which basically power France right now. France, you know, in a one way occupies Niger, but the blowback has been severe. 
There have been two military coups sequentially in Mali in the last few years. And just a few months ago, the Malian military ejected France from Mali, um, said that you can no more operate here. You can't even overfly Malian territory. Um, there is a backlash. When Emmanuel Macron arrived in Algeria, he was booed on the streets. This is very unusual. Haven't seen this kind of popular protest allowed by the Algerian government in a very long time. He was booed as he got off um, the, the air terminal and came into Algiers. A very unusual thing. So there are contradictions here because people see the hypocrisy. You know, you and I don't need to uh, discuss and analyze the hypocrisy. It's available to people on the streets. They see the hypocrisy. They see the military bases across the African continent. They see the way in which their governments are treated and so on. Um, they don't need a, a, a lesson in this. They already understand this. Question is, what does one do? Uh, it is extraordinary that in the United States and in France, there are not more powerful movements um, to essentially uh, dismantle the U.S. and French military presence on the African continent, particularly in the Sahel region. You know, recently, on behalf of um, the French and the United States, the Rwandan military went and invaded northern Mozambique. I reported that story, wrote, I think, three stories about that. Again, not covered by the media uh, in general. People don't know that on behalf of ExxonMobil and on behalf of French Total, the Rwandan military went into northern Mozambique and committed effectively war crimes against the people who had been protesting um, that there was this large natural gas find off the coast of Mozambique and they were not getting any benefit from it. So, you know, the, the hypocrisy is on the surface. The interesting thing is, in the United States and in France, there's barely any public conversation about these issues.